Church song Killer Word is really catchy. Is really catchy, but it's like the dumbest song. I like like you want to stop singing it because you don't want to you don't want to let those just they're just such dumb dumb lyrics. So dumb. You're I get the spirit of it. Like if I could kill hate or deer deer deer, it's it, it's just you're like ugh, this is terrible songwriting. Just terrible songwriting. It's you've been you've been singing it for the last five minutes. It's decent songwriting. <laughs> it's not decent songwriting. It's it's a catchy tune. Without the tune, there's nothing. They what is a found, song? They could have found better. What is a song other than a catchy tune? They could have found better words that weren't just just the worst writing ever. Anyway, welcome back. This is the morning brush rack. I'm Dan Blewett. Uh, Bobby, how you doing, sir? <laughs> I'm good. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. No guests today. We do have some guests in the works uh, for next week and beyond potentially. So I know everyone just abhors having to listen to us, us talk. Although we true. did get a nice compliment this week about iron sharpening iron because we talked about how we could disagree civilly, which is which is honestly astonishing. Like I don't know how you carry some of your views. There, you have some asinine views on life, but. We talk through them, and I berate you for them, and then we're—it's like it never even happened. It's—it's it's honestly a fascinating, Look, I just a fascinating humor, thing. Dan, I just humor your ignorance and hope you come around to the good side at some point. <laughs> right, right, right. We uh, did have that—that that was a so the guy that commented on that on Twitter. Um, his son, his son plays for me, and he's—I I talk to him a lot. He's kind of a oh, so he's biased. He's biased. It was fake news. I don't know if he's biased. I think he kind of agrees. He's biased with you, toward, towards liking you. Yeah, yeah. No, towards liking us. I don't saying. think anybody's biased towards like. I think I think you you have to try really hard. Oh, to just so like you me. can only so you can be only biased one way. Got it. You. I don't. I don't see how it's how how you can dislike me. I just really don't see that. Oh, so many ways. So many ways. <laughs> so many ways. It's actually it's actually pretty pretty common pretty common theme amongst the Chicagoland area. Um, so on today's podcast, we're going to talk about some old drills, uh, and this is a, a fresh in my mind topic because, and this is very rare, uh, but with my softball videos, I just found two like large Facebook groups. Uh, one has like 50,000 members, the other one has like 40,000 members. And when I make a new softball throwing video, I'll usually just post each one in there and be like, hey, made a new video on throwing. Here's one line about it. Hope this helps. It's all free information. And so I made a video this past week. Uh, about so I get I get questions and Bobby do you guys talk about this do, do, do you feel like and we're not gonna talk about softball specifically we're gonna talk honestly more about baseball but do you feel like people ask you about the wrist snap in throwing like you know my son or my daughter uh, they don't throw that hard I just feel like they don't have the, the snap in their wrist of other players like do you get that people definitely think it's like a, and and I personally feel like I know I'm not doing it but I feel like the way I was thinking about throwing, like snapping through it helps me. Like it helps me with accuracy and it helps me with uh, just feeling, feeling like I'm getting some more on the baseball, even though obviously we're going to talk about today, it helps nothing. Like the drill itself helps nothing. Well, I think as an infielder, there's a little more. Well, so basically I think the slower you throw, the more the wrist is involved, like the more the wrist can move. So as you're throwing a ball like on the run as an infielder, 
there is going to be more wrist movement than if you're a pitcher or an outfitter throwing like very, very hard. Um, and I think there's something to that where you're throwing across the diamond a little bit. Um, but they're, they're just this, when you, when you slow down in slow motion, which is what I did in this video to basically say like, look, we need to stop talking about the wrist snap. Like this is not the reason that you don't throw well. This is not a reason that you should be doing this as a drill. Like the wrist snap essentially doesn't really exist. Even if you feel like it exists, even if there's like an inch or two of wrist movement, which is a bit, basically about all there is, the wrist is pretty much stable during a throw. If you look at high speed video, it's like, it's, it's along for the ride. It's like trying to teach your kid to walk. Like it's just going to happen. Like you don't need to do it. Like the wrist, no pitcher ever talks about wrist snap. Like do you guys ever talk about your wrist snap as a pitcher? No, no, you don't. I don't. I don't teach pitching though. Well, there's nothing to there's nothing to snap. Like when your arm is moving at a high speed, it just it's just going at that speed, and it's too fast for you to consciously control it. And then you're like, oh, well, you train it, so it does it when you're doing it. It's like no, flipping a ball to your buddy ten feet away doesn't train a movement that's completely different looking. Number one, because your wrist doesn't flop over like this in a in a real throw, and how would flipping a ball that weighs five ounces flipping at 10 feet train you to throw a ball, you know, 90 miles per hour where there is a lot of force. Like that's a lot of force to control. Where do you think that's, that came from? Do we have a background on the wrist flip? um, I think probably president Trump is to blame for this. I mean, if we really go down the rabbit hole here, it's probably, um, it was probably Teddy Roosevelt, honestly. Dude, Teddy, get action. Teddy's the man. Teddy would never, he would, never flip. he would wrist flip. No, there's, there's, this practically started the Great Depression, the wrist flip. Yeah. So we're also going to chat a little bit about just coaches being resistant to change. That's a thing. And I also do want to talk about arm actions because we've, we've touched on this a little bit in the past. But since Lucas Giolito threw a no hitter, and he is like one of the prime examples of guys who've changed their arm action into this very weird, very short arm action. I think that's worth uh, discussing a little bit today. So, Bob, how do you feel like throughout your career, and we'll, this is going back to the, the wrist snap thing, and again, like that one drill, it's not really done in baseball. It's done in youth baseball a little bit, the little, like, I'm going to flip my wrist thing. But high-level teams have gotten away from that pretty, I mean, pretty consistently. It's not done in college. It's not done in pro ball. Um, I think the best travel teams don't really do that drill very often. It's kind of like a still a stuck-in-the-past thing, but – how often do you feel like coaches are left in the past? Um, I think coaches are left in the past more in, in and not in the drills necessarily, but how they explain how to do something, how they like take your hands to the ball, uh, hitting drills, or I'm not sure what pitching terminology is, but I appreciate old drills, like old school, uh, you know, stuff that our parents used to do or might like, my dad would have us do a lot. So stuff like uh, like a lot of the dads talk about playing pinners. For, if you know what pinners is, is that a thing on the East Coast? A game no, we play? No, no one knows what that is. What? Where you throw the ball against the stairs and you're playing against another guy? Pinners? What? Does anybody out there know what pinners is? Wall ball? But move using on, the stairs. Move on. move on, sir. Move on already. What is pinners? I, pinners is like a pinners is a game with like a rubber ball, and you play against your against your stairs at the house. And you know, the, as far as the ball flies, that's like a single, double, triple, whatever. And you're playing against another guy. 
So one guy's throwing, he's on offense. The guy with the gloves on defense, obviously. Um, I appreciate old, old yeah, ways fun. of. Well, I appreciate old ways of, of like in, instituting the game and and playing the game because a lot of it emphasizes baseball IQ, like the game itself. Like this game, pinners is working with ghost runners and you know trying to teach like kids, you know, that list fundamental things about baseball to where when I get them when they're 9, 10, 11 years old, I basically have to reinstill like, hey, you hit the ball, you run towards that way because that's where the first base is. Well, you don't have you... to teach the ghost runners where to go. <laughs> but yeah. you don't have to – you have to teach so many remedial things, like things that I think you should understand as a baseball player at a very young age. Like if there's a guy on first base and the ball is hit on the ground, like we try and turn a double play. Things that you think are remedial – are things that wait, kids wait, don't know. Wait, wait, can, can, we, can we talk about how you just said a double play? Like you pronounced it weird. Did you hear yourself that's, pronounce it weird? That's, that's like how I have never, to say it. That's, that's how someone who's never played baseball before would say, it. oh, it's, is that a, a, double, a double play? That's how no, I have no, to. It's a, double, it's a double play. It's a double That's play. how I have to play. just say it to, to some of these kids because they don't know what that means. I mean, I've got high school kids. Two outs, one play. Yes. I've got high school kids. They come to me. And there's a guy on first with nobody out, and I have to like scream at them to pinch the middle. And I hate saying pinch the middle, but I, there's no other way to just like tell them how to do or stand in the correct spot because they have no idea where they're supposed to stand. And that's not okay when you're 14 years old. Okay, so uh, how do how do we? So you have drills in your academy, like you guys have like yeah. progressions and stuff, like. Um, have you found that coaches that you employ are like, Hey, I, I don't really get this drill or I want to teach this. I mean, and here's, so here's, here's my, my question, I guess. So as I was, so, I, and I rarely go through Facebook. Oh, like I hate, like I never post personally to Facebook. I really, the only thing I do on Facebook is I post my own account automatically through this thing that I use. And then I posted these softball videos to these groups. And I don't usually engage back beyond that if they get comments but in this past one, I actually like replied to a lot of comments, a lot of comments, because a lot of them were very angry. They're like, I'm a dancing idiot that he doesn't know what he's talking about, even though I definitely do. Um, Those are from my burner accounts. Well, I, I, I just replied pretty succinctly, not like being angry. Like, I don't care. And especially because I, I like know for a fact, like everything I wrote is correct. Like everything I put in the video is correct. I'm just like, look, this is how it is. Like, you know, not, anyway. But my my question is, so people are defending the wrist snap thing, right? And they're basically saying, you know, you know, you do that drill because you want good backspin and you want this and you want that. And it's like, that's all well and good. I don't disagree that you'd want good backspin, but I do disagree that you have any evidence that this drill actually does that. Like you're justifying keeping this drill for, for hypothetical theoretical reasons. You're saying we do this drill because I believe it helps get your spin better. But it definitely doesn't. That's my thing. It's like, you know what I mean? Where they're, they're justifying the existence of drills on a hypothetical basis. And it's like, how, and basically my question was, how do you know this, this, these wrist flick drills that you do, how do you know that they actually have an effect? Do you yeah, have I'll, any evidence? Do you have any yes. evidence they have an effect? Yes, Like I do. you've been doing them for forever. And then, well, in the softball world, softball girls throw terribly. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's an epidemic that they have terrible throwing mechanics across the board pretty much. And so if you start looking at the stuff they've been doing, you're like, 
the baseball doesn't really do that drill much anymore. Baseball's going in the right direction. They those boys throw well from competitive ages all the way up. Girls keep doing all these other drills and they throw terribly. Maybe that's sufficient evidence that what you're doing is not really working. Um, do you have a comment on that, sir? Yes, I do. I think I think they work. I think I think the risks. So I don't think it's so much. I'm going to cut you. I'm going to get a knife. So much. Hear me out. Hear me out. I think I've I think I've got a decent. I think I got some decent logic to it. I don't think it's the risk. I don't think this drill. Anyone that's watching can see me. I think it's more where you finish, like out in front, where where you're just and so you're doing it, and it's not just your wrist, like you're shooting a free throw, like you're actually finishing with the full from the elbow all the way to the wrist, like you're finishing with a full forearm. Okay. And also, I think it's more of just a instead of stepping like twenty feet away from your partner and just firing the ball, like you're just kind of like getting your arm like working a little bit, like almost like a extension of your stretching like i'm not i don't i don't disagree that this wrist flick has absolutely no what is your what is your point because i'm confused my point is that i feel like mentally it's it's something where you where you get the you get the feeling of extension and finishing like through your target to your target with your full arm so it's not just your wrist; it's actually your full, like elbow to wrist, like full extension. Okay. So I think that's like I think that could be justifiable. I'm I'm grasping at straws here, Dan. Well, I don't know. to quote <laughs> Paul Fiction, do, don't, we don't allow, do the drill, so I don't know. Allow me to retort. I mean, well, the thing is, so one of the problems, and this is uh, more a softball problem than a baseball problem, is they push the ball like their elbow jumps ahead, right? Obviously, baseball boys have that problem too but to a much lesser degree. Like you have kids that don't throw that well, like their elbow jumps in front. And so this drill is encouraging your elbow to be in front of the ball or in front of your body. And the extension that you're talking about is not the same extension that you get when you actually throw. The extension that you get when you throw is external rotation layback that then rotates forward into extension. So it's a combination of rotating as you're extending. It's not at all the same thing. It's not a tricep push. And that's another fundamental thing. Like, most of these softball girls have this problem in their mechanics. And yet the first 10 things they do to warm up is they exacerbate that problem by throwing darts. So I, 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 I kind of get your logic. Um, like many of your, uh, things that didn't make a whole lot of sense, but I appreciate you taking the, um, the devil's, the devil's side. Um, cause you don't do that drill. I but, think it makes sense though. I think like mentally, well, I mean, there's a lot of drills that you do, to get the quote unquote feeling of something without actually literally doing that. Well, and I get that if it's a feeling that you're trying to find the game, I understand. I, I, there's certainly drills that out of context look like they have no purpose whatsoever, but they can have a context hitting is this. I mean, hitting is rampant with that stuff. I think today, like these weird looking drills that if you talk to the instructor and learn about the kid that's using it, you could be like, Oh, okay. That kind of makes sense. But in, a vacuum, it makes no sense. You're just like, this is dumb. That's not baseball, right? But this one, there is no, like, you don't need to get the feel of throwing a dart because that's not how you throw regularly. Like, there's nothing really, there's nothing really there to grasp at. But what they're talking about is like, well, it helps teach them to be in the center of the ball. And this is what I, I want to get into. From all my years teaching pitching and softball throwing, because I've done a lot of softball throwing lessons, 
basically you're centering on the ball, whether it's a baseball or softball, like how much do you get through the center of it and create good, clean backspin essentially is, is from what comes before. So if you kind of spin off or you like land on your front foot or you, your front side flies open, your hand goes with it. And that's where you start to get around the ball where I'll adjust kids grips, whether again, whether it's baseball or softball, and then you can see the mechanical things that are causing them to peel off it and then get side spin, gyro spin mixed in. And that's where their spin gets off. And so if you fix their mechanics and their grip is okay, they will be through the center of the ball and they'll get the spin that they want. And that's the problem that people don't understand. They think they have to teach being through the middle of the ball. And really, if you want to teach them how to be through the ball more, you can tell them, Hey, I want you to get on the side of this, like tell a kid just to throw an accidental slider. So they feel the difference. And then they're like, oh, that feels very different. And then have them throw it normal. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah. I can kind of feel for the middle a little bit better. But actually, I take it back. I feel like we do the foot like flips playing catch. Well, then I, I think I'm going to I'm, I'm have to get a new co-host then. I, I think people have been clamoring for you to get a new – for me to get a new co-host for months mm-hmm. now. Just... Mm-hmm. Um, but <laughs> – but like, so the fascinating thing was, especially in replying to like, I probably replied to like 30 Facebook comments, um, is that coaches would just like, they had literally no, no legitimate justification. One guy was rambling about spin that made like literally no sense. Um, they were talking about spin being super important across the diamond. Like, no, this is for backspin. Like backspin is really important. It helps the ball carry. I'm like, that's true. But when you're throwing a ball 50 feet, the spin is negligible the effect is negligible when you have a long throw from the outfield spins more important yeah but also you wouldn't choose to train for spin when your mechanics are garbage like you'd want to fix your mechanics more than worrying about spin like spins like not even the icing on the cake spin is like the last letter of the name of the on the cake you know and when you fix mechanics you fix spin too yeah i i guess uh, like my overarching thought question would be what are these drills implied to help? Are they implied to teach you something? Are they implied to get you to feel something? Do they have any basis like in today's game? And I think a lot of old drills have basis in today's game, like from a baseball IQ standpoint and from like a, like I'm try, I always try and think back like what we used to do in college. Well, are you talking about I drills can- or talking about like, cause like your pinners thing, doesn't seem as much like a drill as much like a activity. Like it's kind of like a separate category. It's, it's kind of an like, activity. Uh, I agree. It's kind of an activity. I'm trying to, I, I guess but I, I was saying, yeah. I'm trying to think of like what I used to do, what we used to do in college drill wise, like quote unquote drill wise that, and I don't remember doing many drills. I mean, hitting drills are the only thing I can specifically remember doing consistently. And they were never the same. They're always a little bit different, like every day. And hitting drills, even today, I don't know what drills I we do, I guess, defensively. And I don't teach pitching, so there might be a lot more throwing drills that I'm unaware of. But I don't I can't think of like drills, like old school fielding drills that don't have uh base in today's game, if that makes sense. Oh well uh, yeah, well and that's a good point. I think fielding especially hasn't changed. And fielding no. is largely like, and I've, obviously I was not an infielder, but I teach uh, infielding a lot as part of the throwing stuff that I do with softball players and with position players. And, and you can tell that kids, A, 
the most athletic ones figure out how to throw on the run. Like it's something that's, it's hard to teach. You can give them the basics, but the basics of teaching like a 12 year old, for example, how to throw on the run for the first time, it's pretty much like, Hey, you got to pull your shoulder blade back all the way, keep the ball close to your chest. Like this is the kind of like the key for making that tough, like Nolan Arenado throw. And then after that, it's like, that's what your arm does. So kids, sometimes they like get the ball and they're out here. They try to throw on the run. It doesn't work. They look like the, you know, those like, barrel of monkeys the games where the monkeys like connect to each other with your kid you know those i like, remember off, yeah so they have <laughs> really long, tree. yeah you can't throw on the run with a long elbow angle it doesn't work so if you watch any infielder they have this tight elbow angle and they just but like that's you know teaching stuff like that you teach them this is the only thing you have to do and then it's kind of like do it and figure it out right and fielding is like the same way like you can tell kids about footwork i'm sure you know tons and tons about what to tell them but then it's like they have to just improv and do it. I mean, am I right, right or wrong there? I don't think there's any substitute for repetition mm-hmm. when, you're, when you're doing fielding drills. Like, I can, I can tell a kid to open his hips and run for the ball in the outfield, but unless he actually sees the ball go up from a further distance away, like, there is no substitute. That's why it's so hard in the Midwest to, like, people yeah. always clamor for, well, where can we do outfield stuff? Indoors in the winter, like you can't really because you don't have the space most places don't have the space and it's hard to teach you can't talk it out you need to do it and that's part i mean we've talked about this before like kids that come from the dominican and puerto rico that have 10 times the amount of ground balls that a a shortstop in chicago might have at the age of 12 because he's outside literally Mm -hmm. 10 10 times the amount of days you just have no there's no substitute for experience uh and repetition like that Cause then you do figure it out. Like there's, there's so many infielders and every position in the big leagues, these guys have like small individual ways of doing things. And they've body has figured out like, this is an efficient way for me to get this done. And I'm very successful at doing it. And obviously if you're in the big leagues, you're very successful anyways, but there's, it's not, they all have, I guess, broad characteristics that are very similar, but there are some nuances to how they feel the ball how they throw the ball. And I don't think you get that by teaching. Like there's some, there's some level of learn on your own that these guys have gotten more so than anybody else. Well, and I, I especially think with like with infield drills, there's probably more variations than any other type of like play on the field because you can bounce balls off. You can backhand stuff. You can do one ball. Like you've probably seen the guy Kai Correa, who's now the, one of the giants like bench coaches in the big leagues he's got like crazy cool infield drills and stuff but at the same time you can only like bounce and like back pick a tennis ball off the wall doing like the same thing over and over like for so long until you're like all right i'm bored what's the next thing to do right and then you need like you need like 15 drills to to kill an hour whereas if you're just like you said playing a game where you're bouncing to yourself and like making the plays or you're just kind of like making it competitive in a game you could do that for like two hours. Like I would just go play wall ball for two hours when I was a kid at the tennis court. Yep. Um, and it was just like more fun because it wasn't, I'm just doing this little chunk of it over and over. I'm doing the whole thing. Like I'm just, you know, you can bounce one that's going to go up over your head and you run back and try to like catch it. And uh, it's funny. Yeah. It's funny. And this is a little bit relates. So our 14, we had, we had a couple 14 new teams this year and they played each other this past weekend in like a scrimmage game. Uh, two games. So the first game they played, you know, white team versus silver team, whatever, whoever was playing. 
And then the second game, I was talking to the coach. He goes, we just picked the two starting pitchers and let the guys, the kids draft the team, let the kids draft the team themselves. He goes, and that second game, he's like, was so much different than the first game. He's like, the kids were talking the whole time. Like, they were, they were talking back at each other. He goes, like, the energy of the second game wasn't even close. And there's something to be said. Like, that is what we did all the time right? Like you go to the park, you pick, you know, you pick two captains and you guys pick teams for mainly, and not just baseball, like anything, you go play basketball, you play tag or ghost in the graveyard or whatever. Like it's more fun when you just like, when you're out there doing it and it's not organized by an adult and it's yeah, adults like, are the worst. We're like adults. We do suck. We're, we're trash versions of humans. Kids but are the best. It's just funny to hear like, they were the, it's the same, it was the same 24 kids playing the same game after they had already played a full seven inning game in, in the heat for two, you know, over two hours. And this, he's like, the second game was like night and day compared to the first game, just an energy level and like them wanting to play. And that, I don't think we do, I don't think kids today do that enough. I mean, they're just, I don't know how much they just go to the park and, play against each other games against each other it's just yeah. different i mean obviously it's different but there's so, like that aspect of i don't know if it's competitiveness or if it's like the fun of the game like that is being totally stripped away in organized sports well yeah and i don't want to i don't want to be old men yelling at clouds too much because there's so much of that on twitter but like you know kids need to go play i mean they they obviously do we both agree on that I think the question is how you set the stage for it a little more. I mean, part of it is everyone's reliance on phones, which hurts everyone's attention span, mine included. Like, and that's why I got this stupid Apple Watch so I could leave my phone at home and leave it off a lot of, a lot of the time. Because when, you, when you're sitting and you're doing stuff that's hard, like trying to kill time, or you're trying to think of something, or I'm trying to write or you know plan for videos or whatever it is, when you have this constant tug of like, oh, I'm bored. And like, I don't know what to do. I'll check my phone. Like you don't think about it, but you just like constantly grab for your phone and it like breaks your, you know, breaks you. So, so if you like lock your kids out of your house for two hours, you know, like, here's the tennis ball. And then you're you know, like, your buddy's right across the street. They're going to figure out fun stuff to do. Right. So you almost like have to set the stage to say, Hey, no phone, go to the backyard. Like here, I'll drop you off at the tennis court. Give me your phones. And just like let it, and they'll, they'll figure out fun stuff to do. They'll they'll figure out ways to pass time. And so I feel like as a coach, you in, in this time of Corona, you could just have like little four man practices. And say, hey guys, we're gonna meet the we're gonna meet the field. Um, I'm gonna I'll give you some ideas. I'm just gonna hang out and like supervise from the dugout. I'm not even gonna talk to you, but just like so there's like parental supervision where you know no one gets abducted, but let the kids go like do their thing. Just like bring the equipment, let the kids go do it, and coach goes for a walk and. I don't know. I think I think there's something there, and I've found my creativity coming back, being away from my phone a lot more, which has been helpful. But I feel like that's still part of the reason. And I know kids don't live as close maybe today with more suburbs and there's more video games. But I think if you put kids outside without technological distractions, they'll eventually start to do the stuff that we all did. I mean, would you agree or disagree? I yeah, you would think so. You just got to steal their phones. Lock take them to the park far away from their house and tell them find their way home. I knew, I knew you were going there. Um, all right. So, all right. So then my question is, all right, back to the drills side. Like if the wrist flick drill is useless and we agree it's useless, 
and people in your Facebook group hate you for it. Yep. What, what is the alternative? Like, what do you, so how are you teaching a kid, you know, what does a warm-up routine look like when you're playing catch, if not the old school flip, flick the wrist and then back well, up 10 feet? Yeah. Well, obviously like I'm not going to bust out and demonstrate drills right now, but do my, it. I mean, one of my things is I'm, I, I dislike that the industry has become obsessed over time with warming up. Who's to say that throwing a ball 35 feet isn't a good warm up for throwing? I mean, why do we have to do a drill or why do we have to like get on all fours and do like fire hydrants and do our mobility stuff? Why do we have to do all this other stuff? Why do I have to do a million arm circles and why do I have to do all these exercises as a better, like who's to say they're a better warm up than actually throwing a ball slowly? Like if we're talking about like, Hey, I want to pump blood into my arm and all the perfect ways to heat my arm up for throwing. Well, it doesn't throwing (laughs) target all the muscles of throwing. You know what I mean? And that sounds like bad advice, but I mean, the problem is most young kids don't warm up. They don't take their time. So they just grab the ball and they start firing it. They're like one speed bicycles, but old guys where our arms are like trash, we learn that like, yeah, no, I'm going to actually go through my mechanics, but I'm going to throw it slow to you from 35 or 40 feet for a little while. And you can't tell me that's not warming up my arm. Well, there's certainly stuff that I do. I'm not saying I don't do any of those other things too, but you know, you can pump a lot of little blood into your arms with some, you know, bent over rows and some, you know, L's and some arm circles. You can get your blood pumping from running, but I just don't feel like we need these 30 minute warmups to throw a freaking baseball. I really just, I don't think it's necessary. And I don't think anyone has any evidence. It would be obviously hard to find evidence. So I, I get that. It's not like I'm asking for a study, but at the same time, it's like if you do five or 10 minutes of stuff to get the blood flowing and, you know, if you know your body and you say, Hey, I, I need to kind of stretch this part out. I get tight in my quads or I kind of get like, as you, I got older, I could feel my mobility in my upper body. Um, I'd have to work on a little more, but if you spend five or 10 minutes worth throwing, getting the blood flowing and doing this, and then you honestly, earnestly slowly warm up throwing the ball slow at first. I think that seems to cover all bases. Like, why do we need to do all these weird physical therapy exercises to say that I'm ready to throw now when they're targeting the body in a slightly different way, which is fine. But I think it's, I think it got really overblown. And now guys, it's like they're pacifier. They have to do these 30 minutes of exercises to throw a ball. And I don't, I don't know that they'd be better off doing a third as much and actually just like going slow throwing. Oh, you're hitting me right. Unpopular opinion, but I. No, no, it's a great. You're hitting me right in the wheelhouse. I love this. I never, personally, I never stretch. I don't stretch. I've never stretched. I think it's really overrated. Yeah. I've hated, I hated the spring training, 8.30 in the morning, out on the dewy spring training backfields, stretch for 50 minutes before, like, I, I couldn't despise it more and think it was more useless, and obviously, to the chagrin of probably every person in spring training. Like, why wouldn't you stretch? Why don't you stretch? Like, I don't feel like I need to stretch. I feel like my, like in whatever psycho uh, confidence thing I had, like my muscles, the more they were stretched out, the less quick twitch I felt like, and I'm not, not to say that they weren't stretched out, but like I felt springy. So I wanted to feel springy. Like that's, I wanted to feel that. Mm-hmm. And then I would get into, like you said, I wouldn't go a hundred percent. Like I'm not sprinting around the bases in 18 seconds right out of the clubhouse, but 
but I'm going to jog a little bit at my position. Like I'm going to bend over and take a few ground balls, like using the muscles I'm going to use all day. And then, okay, now we're going to get into like full speed drills. Like, all right, let's do it. Let's, let's build up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like a sprinter starting off like with a, with a flying start. Like, yeah, let's build up to the start line. And as opposed to just, okay, we're just going to stretch our body very thin. And now you're warmed up. Like I'm not warmed up. I don't feel any better than I did 20 minutes ago coming out of the clubhouse. I just feel like you made me exercise. Like I felt like I felt like I had to exercise prior to doing stuff. Like I've never been someone, even in high school, I never stretched before working out. I would run around the basketball court and shoot layups for, you know, five, six minutes and then just go right into the workout. Granted, I wasn't maxing first set. Like you said, like, yeah, we're not in an older players, not going out there playing catch, throwing full go 35 feet. So you learn how to like build your body up. But mm-hmm. I just think you're like, you're, yeah, you're hundred percent right. I don't think you need to study. Like you, you do the X, you do the, the task using the same muscles. You're trying to warm up doing exactly. different exactly. tasks. Mm-hmm. doesn't make any sense. People are stupid. This is, this is why you watch a show. So we can reaffirm that people are dumb. Well, and I, you feel the same way with lifting and with, with fitness. I mean, you see some people that have these 30 minute like foam rolling and activation. Again, they're doing like all the fire hydrants in the world and they're bird dogs and they're planks. Now, if you have an injury and you like say, Hey, this is stuff I have to do to kind of like, I know this is what I have to do to stay healthy. That's in like a separate category. Um, but like for squatting, what's a better warm up for squatting than squatting a lighter weight? That's what everyone does, right? And, the, and like you talk, look at Olympic lifters, some of the strongest people in the world who are hyper flexible. Um, they're not doing this, all this crazy stuff to warm up. They're getting a, a broomstick and they're doing the motion. And then they're adding more weight and they're, and they're doing the motion, right? Like they're doing the same thing. And that's what throwing drills are too. So like that's why I like obviously we use the throwing progression with my teams. Um, and I have a set bunch of drills. But I also don't like – if it's me, because I would do a couple of drills even to the last day I pitched, um, because I, I had a purpose that they would like, hey, hey if, if I do the rocker drill, this helps me make sure my front side stays high. It helps me feel for the front side of my delivery. It kind of keeps you fine tuned. It's like, yeah, as a car, it's like changing your oil and like making sure your spark plugs are still clean. Like those little things keep you, they keep you in, in, in shape. But at the same time, um, I could just go through my windup one day and just only throw from a windup and just go out and come back in. And that's fine too. Like, I don't know. I, I, so I don't, I try to get away from drills whenever possible. Like if a kid is like looking pretty good, like let's just, let's throw, but yeah. throw from your, throw from the stretch, throw from the windup. Don't ever just like toss it. Always throw in a way that you'd throw in the game. And I think that's uh that's what the Dominican players do. That's for sure. I mean, when my team, my little uh, international Pete Caliendo sports team when we went to the Dominican two years ago, those kids got the ball. You know what they did? They shuffled. They get the ball to their chest, they, sh- they shuffle at you, and they throw it. And then they mimic, like, feeling the ground ball, and then they move their feet, they shuffle, and they throw it. They're just constantly shuffling your feet. And I, that's the number one thing I'd say to do if you don't do a throwing routine. If your kids just got the ball sideways, you know, like your quarterback, you just shuffle and throw to your partner – it gets your whole body moving. Your body learns to move as a system. It's moving fast. It, like your body figures it out when you're in motion, right? Just like with the infield stuff we were talking about. If you're like, hey, I want you to run. 
I'm going to roll you ground ball and I want you to throw it off your right foot to first base. Your, your body will figure out how to do it because it'll feel super awkward when you do it wrong, right? There's not that many ways to throw a ball on the run to first base wrong because it just feels so, it's like painfully awkward. And you yeah, just like definitely. start to, yeah, like you realize you have to throw it off your right foot if you're a righty. You don't have to teach them that. Like if, you throw, if you're on your left foot and you try to throw across a diamond, it just like doesn't happen. And if your arm angle is really long, just like doesn't happen. I do, so. I, you're hitting it on the head. Like, what, and I've made this point on Twitter a few times. Like I've kind of emphasized it. Like everybody's pushing all this tech and baseball, tech and baseball. Well, the U.S. probably has the most technology incorporated into the youngest levels of baseball, yet we're not producing the best talent in baseball. The best talent's coming from third world oh. countries. We kind of are producing the best talent. Mm, uh, not per not per the amount of kids we've got playing the game. Well, for sure. Per capita, there's more players coming out of the Dominican than the U.S. But then again, if American players chose baseball and played it at the same rate of the Dominican, it might be the same. We don't know. That's, that's, that's we the, don't know, that's but based on immersive sheer, baseball culture down there. Based on sheer... Like you look at top prospect lists, they're flooded with guys who come from a place where they have zero technology and they have zero biomechanical studies, but these guys are doing it just as good, if not better. So what, at what point is that actually helping? Like at what point are you stripping out the feel of baseball from, from young kids and making them robots where they can't adjust and alter on the fly, whereas these guys are down there hitting with a stick and a bottle cap and figuring out things that you're trying to show, you know, American players on a, on your phone and on your computer screen. Agree. Um, and I have a lot of respect for the way the Dominicans do their, uh, their training. I mean, they work so hard, but at the same time, things you don't know where this, again, it's not like an apples to apples comparison. The culture in the Dominican is very different where it's a, it's a much more desperate form of training. Like they know they need to train, six, eight hours a day, because that's potentially their ticket off the island and out of poverty. And so that's a very different scenario from the urgency that players have in America, which there is no urgency. It's personal, intrinsic urgency. If I feel like, and I was, when I was a kid, I was like desperate to, to play pro baseball. Not like I wanted to, like I needed to. And that's how every Dominican kid feels. They all need to be pros, right? Like that's how they train. And they, and they, their actions match their desire there. Um, and then again, like we don't know if, you know, so say like 70% and this is a made up number, but say 70% of Dominican kids, which could be correct. I don't know. Um, like give it a real shot at, at chasing the baseball dream. If 70% of American kids, that's like so many kids. If 70% did that, you'd find so many kids that have like super talent for baseball that have just didn't care for baseball, right? Like how many kids are playing basketball right now that might have cannon arms, how many kids playing football right now might be to hit a ball into the freaking moon. There's a lot of them out there, right? But they don't, they didn't choose baseball. But if everyone chose baseball in America, like everyone chose, chooses baseball in the Dominican, there'd be a pretty, pretty significant talent pool. I mean, think about it. you get all the best athletes from football. I mean, there aren't others. There's not four major sports in these small countries, right? So if you're taking all the best football players and making them baseball players, taking all the best basketball players, I mean, that's some serious athletic talent where, it's hard, like that's what sure. I'm saying. It's it's hard to compare the two because so many kids are. I mean, there's some human out there that probably throw 115 miles an hour. 
he just is doing something random right now and maybe in India doing, you know, maybe he's, I don't know what he's doing. Throwing a javelin. Well, now you could not even be doing a sport. He might just be sitting at home helping to support his family by like doing a paper route or something. But if you like found that kid, gave him a chance, gave him training, you know, like there are some genetic anomalies and there have been in the past, like Bob Feller threw 106 miles an hour back in 1960. You're saying that there's not that kind of caliber of arm out there that could throw that hard. To, like if Bob Feller existed today, he'd have probably thrown 115 miles an hour. If you could throw 106 back in 1960. <laughs> the waterlogged, you better, the waterlogged you, baseball. You better believe you'd throw 110 today. First, like without a doubt. And so that human genetic potential it still exists somewhere. We just haven't uncovered it. How hard and if do you every think- kid, if every kid played baseball in the world, you'd uncover it. How hard do you think Bob Feller would throw a newspaper? Wet or dry? <laughs> Wall <laughs> Street Journal is a, is a Sunday edition. I mean, what are we working with here? Yeah, we're working with a so yeah Sunday Sunday Tribune. Only the good stuff. He'd kill somebody. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy to think about how uh, how good some of. The, I mean, like obviously Nolan Ryan, but Bob so Feller would. So, all right, so here's a good question. So, would Bob Feller, would he have thrown harder, or was what he was doing back then moving horses around the stalls making him so much stronger than what he would have gotten maybe in a, in a, in the, in a bio lab weight room? <laughs> moving currently? horses? What are you saying? He's like put, picking them up and carrying them from stall to yeah, stall? Yeah, the buggy was on Bob Feller. I don't think that, I mean, there's certainly something to be said for country strength and for farm strength. And like, that's certainly a real thing. However, I don't think you can say like wiry, skinny Bob Feller, given today's training, especially the fact that we know about the rotator cuff. Like back then they didn't do any arm care exercises. So you start to do my doppelganger test where you're like, here's Bob Feller in universe A. Here's Bob Feller in universe B, where he's on a world-class shoulder care regimen, strengthening his rotator cuff. He's addressing some mobility issues that maybe he had. He's in the weight room adding, adding good body mass. Would you ever, if you're a betting man, would you bet your house on 1960s Bob Feller or 1960s Bob Feller? Maybe with a little less farm work, but with all that modern training and better nutrition? I would, I would have to think long and hard about taking old school Bob Feller. Because you don't know like what he was doing and it's obviously he's not training to be a baseball player to throw hard, right? But he was doing something in when he wasn't playing baseball that was benefiting his arm more than than anybody can quantify because they don't obviously don't have his his day to day log. Like he was was he? So I played for Richie Hebner. Richie Hebner was with the Pirates, uh, third baseman, and he used to call him the Grave Digger. And because he literally dug graves for his family's cemetery in the off season. Now, this guy would probably drink a 12 pack a day doing so. But who's to say how if how that benefited him strength wise in baseball? And if that would have been if he would have benefited more from being in a weight room like you'd, you don't know. I, I don't know personally, because as someone who's done manual labor like that, like you don't have a concept of like reps or when you're done. It's just when the job is done. So like was Bob Feller chopping trees down all winter long just to like, just to kind of how you said, like survive. And well, we don't need one tree for firewood. We need 15 trees, Bob. So go chop them down. 
Like you don't know. I don't know. I really don't know. I don't understand what you're saying. Like, yeah, we can quantify the amount of work he's doing in the weight room and like all the, all what we know benefits your arm, but who's to say that what he was doing wasn't benefiting his arm as much, if not more. I don't know. I really don't. And I am a big firm believer in like country strength and like old school, like man strength from the, you know, back when people had to work to survive, not just work to get strong. Yeah. But we also know that velocity has been climbing, especially rapidly in the last 10 years. And it just, it just was nowhere on average, even close to where it is today back then. So if you just take a hundred ballplayers from 1960 and, and transport them to today and give them three years to train, all of those guys hit the ball way farther. All of those guys throw significantly harder. Not all of them, but probably 95%, 90%. It's just human. It's being a human being. But the top two or three might have been benefiting themselves more than we would be able to give them in the weight room, unbeknownst to, uh, unbeknownst to us. That's what I'm saying. Like it's made, yeah, for the majority. Certainly, there's not a yeah. You can never predict the training effect. Where some some again, if you take a hundred people and train them, a couple of them just like don't get that much better, or maybe they just like right. don't get that much benefit. Especially when it's something where you're training, you're doing weight training to increase speed. Like they should all across the board get faster, but like some maybe get way faster. Some maybe only get like a tiny amount faster. Right. You, we both know that. And you're right. Maybe they were doing something before that just was unique to their body and had some unquantifiable effect. So, yeah, I mean, you're not wrong, but at the same time, I think most people would bet that bulked up Bob Feller with some, especially targeting your shoulder, which I think is probably a really important thing because they didn't do any of that. Um, so I'm you saying, can't imagine he doesn't eke out a couple more miles per hour. Bob but. Feller had freakish shoulders back in the day. He threw from a low arm slot too. There was a video of him. I just six. Yeah, there's a video of him. Actually, it might have been a little harder than that. But there was a there's a video of him throwing the old timers game where Hank Aaron takes him deep on a three zero pitch. Oh yeah, I saw that. I saw where yeah, he's like, 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 like sixty five. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's just flicking the ball up there. Mm-hmm. But um, well, and so there was so for those of you listening, I'm gonna plug my dad's book because my dad uh, William Blewett wrote a book called The Science of the Fastball back in 2013. You can find it on Amazon. It's a great book. My dad's an exceptional writer. And my dad, so this book is about the three hardest throwers of all time. And it's about where pitching velocity comes from. It's a lot of theoretical stuff and some really interesting insights, but he covers the three hardest throwers of all time, which were Nolan Ryan, Bob Feller, and this unknown guy named Steve Dolkowski. Bobby, have you heard of Steve Dolkowski? I think we've mentioned yeah, him in the oh, past. Yeah. yeah, he threw like 200 miles an hour. Well, so he was widely reported to be the hardest thrower of all time, like in the one tens. And from every, essentially every eyewitness report, they all said the same thing that like his, uh, his sister said, like, I knew Stevie was going to go, this is in high school. She's like, I knew when Stevie was pitching. Cause I could hear a pit. I could hear him, his balls hissing from the from like the parking lot. Um, he would strike out 20 and walk 20. He was an Orioles minor leaguer and then blew his arm out. So there's one umpire. He's got a book. It's called, I think it's like call me God or something. Um, I can't think of his name at the moment, but he was like a 30 year, 30 year umpire, uh, was like a, you know, umpiring every world series and all-star game, whatever. And he, so he has a book. He was uh, like a pretty like outspoken, like I'm, I'm the best umpire kind of guy. He was in the league. So he umpired in the minor leagues with Steve Dolkowski. And he also umpired many of Nolan Ryan's games. And he said, Dolkowski threw significantly harder than Nolan Ryan. He said there was no comparison between the two. 
That's a bold, crazy. that's a crazy bold statement. Cause this was Nolan Ryan's like young days, like heyday when Nolan Ryan was also throwing 105, 106. Cause in my, in my dad's book, the science of the fastball, he does like the, all the calculations and the math for you. So like back when Nolan Ryan was first on the radar gun, they had a radar gun that was shot down as a ray gun from the press box and it intersected with home plate. So the ball would get red as it crossed home plate. Now, if you know about pitching velocity, radar guns today measure the ball as it leaves your fingertips and it slows down on average about like 6%, 7% on its travel to the plate. So if you throw 90, the radar gun reads 84 when it crosses the plate plus or minus. Right. So Nolan Ryan's ball was red at home plate at 98, I think 0.5 or something like that. So if your ball is decreasing in speed about six miles per hour, Nolan Ryan was throwing like 105 at that point. So, and again, there was an umpire who said there was no comparison. Steve Dalkowski threw significantly harder than Nolan Ryan. So that's pretty, which is I mean, so ins- again, he's insane. Which is insane. And my dad's theory is basically that he had this just like resonance with his body where he, you talked about being a spring, like being springy where he just like every joint in his body, the way his mechanics were like, everything was perfectly springy and in tune where his legs perfectly amplified the power to his core, which then perfectly amplified it to his arm, which like every little segment in the kinetic chain was just like perfectly springy and in tune with itself to throw a baseball, which I think like has some sort of merit. That's kind of the way you, you see some of these whippy, whippy pitchers that just like, boom, and it just like comes, right? So, For sure. So to th- say there's not more Steve Dalkowski's out there would be misguided. They're just so few and far between. Like he's like a one in, like literally one in probably a 10 million arm. But there's more out there like that. But anyway, his walk numbers were insane. Like it was literally like strikeout 18, walk 18 every game. Yeah, I remember just reading about it. Couldn't figure it out. Yeah, so if you're but out there. It's crazy that he that he's somebody is out there like you said and he wasn't a large guy right that was the normal like yeah normal like normal size, size minor leaguer mm-hmm. crazy yeah. so science of the fastball by my dad william blew it i'll link to it on my twitter later but you should definitely check it out it's a good it's a good book um but so let's talk about as we get to the last little chunk of the show so <laughs> lucas giolito threw a no hitter which is awesome i mean he's really coming into his own as a, as a big league pitcher I actually met him when he was in high school before the draft. I went to Alan Jager's, uh, one of Alan Jager's camps in Southern California. It was after my second pro season where I had a meltdown year. And it was like a long toss of mental training camp. And there were a bunch of like high profile guys from, from SoCal there. And one was Max Freed, who's with the Braves, left-handed pitcher. And one was Lucas Giolito. I was like, who are these kids? Like just wearing their like LA, like joggers and like just, you know, like that low cut t-shirt you're like all right rich kids but they told me about them i mean they were nice guys we didn't really talk but um i figured out who they were and obviously both of them made it up which is cool but so lucas giolito had like a normal arm action quote unquote and now today he's changed it a couple years ago he's changed it where it's incredibly short looks strange like you look at him and you're like that's odd right other Mm -hmm. pitchers who do that are trevor bauer um God, there's a couple others. I, sh- I should be more prepared for this, but we all seen this because it sticks out, right? Bobby, what's your what's your immediate reaction to seeing pitchers with arm actions like that? Uh, that they used to be position players, or they used to be sh- infielders, like the short arm action, because that was that was a huge thing. Obviously, being in Chicago, Giolito's like, you know, you, the White Sox kind of put a lot. Like, we're gonna put a lot into this guy. You know, fingers mm-hmm. crossed, he pans out. 
Um, and he was just so inconsistent. And then they, once he made that turnaround last year, they started highlighting like on the broadcast, like circling his arm action, like, oh, he's not doing the long arm thing anymore. And then he starts to talk about it, like became more open about it. And it's, it's like his turnaround is impressive. I mean, he's like, he is a legitimate ace for a big league team, but it looks kind of how I would picture myself like pitching, like kind of right here. Like I've, a, seen, like I've, I've, I've seen you pitch. You don't do that. I've got a great, I'm uh, Dan. My strikeout to walk ratio is unbelievable. It's like four and a half to one. So another pitcher that does that is Robbie Ray, right? From the Diamondbacks having a terrible season, like can't throw a strike. So his change has not helped. Um, I think Zach Plezak does that too, but I don't have, I haven't looked at his video and I was talking to a friend um, who's a scout and he was, we were talking about this and he's like, there's a good amount of guys. There's actually not, so there's not that many guys have done this like high, especially in the big leagues, but there's a couple and then there's some more in the minor leagues. And he's like, actually from what I know, except because we've been talking about it, he said, there's a bunch of guys who've done this and blown out, like blown out their arms either very quickly that thereafter or in like the next season or whatever. He's like, is he, if you start to look at the numbers, like there's not that many of them and there's a good amount of guys who've, who've hurt themselves shortly thereafter. Um, and so here's, so here's my take on it. And then I'll, I want to hear your, your opinion on it. So I've talked a bunch about this book, anti-fragile in the past couple of shows. And one of the things the kooky author says is that he only trusts stuff that's been around for long enough to be really been tested by nature. So he was like, we know that wine is safe to drink because it's been around for thousands of years. Humans have been drinking it and whatever. He's like, we know lots of fruits and vegetables. Humans have been eating them for forever. He's like, but we don't really know the effect of, for example, some of these like apples and fruits that have been hybridized where we're growing them now with a way higher sugar content. Like that's not necessarily good human nutrition anymore because it's not really the way our bodies evolved eating it or whatever. So he basically says like nature really figures things out. If you give it enough time and his point was about medicine, he's like, we don't know what some of these medicines are doing to the body long-term. It might seem good today. And like artificial sweeteners is a great example. They might seem okay today, but we might figure out in 20 years that it's been giving a lot of people cancer or something else. And of course, again, I don't have any evidence, neither did he. He's just saying, hypothetically, there's a lot of artificial substances we now ingest that we don't know the long-term ramifications of. But if you're ingesting artificial sweeteners for a thousand years, you'd be pretty certain at some point that it's like, all right, this is okay, right? That makes sense. Would you agree? You'd know the effects of what they would be doing, right? Yeah, you'd, you'd have figured out, like, we should, we need to stop doing this or not. Uh, do you remember those chips from, like, the 1990s called, they're, they're made with Olestra oil? Do you remember that? No. Olestra oil? It was like a, it's, it's like a fascinating example of this. I remember when they came out, they, they developed a synthetic oil that you could fry stuff in. So cooking oil called Olestra. And it was basically like some sort of different, so like fatty acids, you know, oil has different lengths of uh, chains. So there's like fatty, fatty acids are longer chain. You can have medium chain triglycerides, uh, like bodybuilders take those, they eat those because it's like a fat, but it's easier to digest. So they store less of it as fat because it's a shorter chain. Um, coconut oil has a lot of medium, medium chain triglycerides. So anyway, they manufactured this Olestra and it seemed great. It was like a low fat because basically your body wouldn't absorb the fat. So like we have all the benefits of potato chips that taste delicious because we fried them. We really actually fried them in this oil 
but you're not going to get fat eating them because the oil doesn't get absorbed by your body really. And you know what happened? People started pooping their pants. I'm reading it right now. (laughs) The oil, yes, it did not get absorbed, but guess what happened? It just like made its way through and people were not happy when they were at work and, uh, you know, maybe they toot and (laughs) there's, you know, bad things happening. So that was a really good example of like, this seems great. You know, other examples uh, were uh, trans fats. Everyone thought trans fats were a miracle until we realized that they were super duper unhealthy, right? Anyway, so my point is, we don't know yet with arm actions what the effect of this would be. I'm sure the pitching coaches that work with these guys are like, hey, there are some issues, like your arm action was super long or whatever it is, and it seems like it's causing a timing issue or maybe you were hurt before. So we have a good reason to change. So let's shorten your arm action a lot. So now you're always on time, quote unquote, like your arms in the right spot when your, your front foot hits and your chest in the right spot. I think it's good intentions, but you've never seen pitchers naturally throw this way, right? Like if you look at any, any, any year prior, even just four or five years prior, you've never seen a pitcher naturally come up throwing that way. I'm like almost never only, only examples are like Danny Baez, who is a, a, a Dominican pitcher who just like stuck it to his head. I think he used to be a catcher. Jason Mott was a converted catcher. Um, but you've never seen like a, like a genuine like grew up pitcher at any point in history. Like, Oh, this is just how I threw on the farm. Right. You've never seen that happen. And that's to me is concerning where you essentially say, okay, the way human beings throw a baseball from a, from a pitching mound, it always seems to involve longer arm movements. It always has, it always seems to, that it will. That's not to say that your pitching mechanics are best when your arms are straight, because they're certainly not. Like, there's definitely too much motion, right? You could wrap too much and stick your arm behind too much. Like, there's definitely plus or minus. But at the same time, human beings have never, ever thrown naturally the way like Trevor Bauer and Lucas Giolito and Robbie Ray are throwing. They've never done that. It's never been the way the body has wanted to organize itself. And so to me, that seems concerning where now we're like changing that. It's like, it's like teaching someone a new way to run. It's like human beings have run essentially, it's sprinted essentially one way throughout history, right? We haven't changed the way you sprint. Your body just figures it out. Like the way you jump, your body just figures it out. And throwing has been another one of those activities where everyone plus or minus has, has like thrown the same way. And we've done like leg kicks differently and stuff, but that stuff doesn't really matter that much. But now we're starting to, uh, to change arm actions and we just don't know the effect of it. And I, I wonder if in five years you might have a pile of pitchers who tried this and were hurt shortly, shortly thereafter. And I don't know that. It's just, a, it's just a, again, a question of like, this is a new thing. It's like an artificial sweetener that we just don't know what's going to happen. So is it like, your, uh, your is take? It, I agree. I mean, is it like weighted balls? Like you don't really under, you don't know the effects that's of another, long-term effects an, of weighted balls. And, that's and I think example. that one's, yeah. I honestly think the weighted ball one is more like front and center because it is being touted by many people and many, you know, pitchers as well as like, this is what they credit throwing harder to. This is what, this is how you throw harder. You know, it's not the old school long toss where I think long toss has been like proven over time. Like as long toss, basically like what you're saying, like it's been proven over time. That's what people did. They throw farther to throw harder. And now you've got guys that want to rapidly, you know, bypass the, the way of, the time time honored tradition of long tossing. Now it's 
throw something heavier and in a shorter period of time, you're going to throw harder, but nobody's like, I mean, it's hard to attribute injury to specifically like one thing, right? Sure. Like uh-huh. the weighted ball point. stuff, but you don't know what the effect of weighted balls is. And it's probably individualized, but at the same time, I think it's it, I think it's worth discussing like how safe is weighted balls. We don't know yet. Like we just don't know yet. How safe is this short arm action? Like we don't know, but if it yeah. works and this is your only chance to succeed. And I think that's kind of the argument of weighted balls. Like, look, you don't have a chance to make it to the level you're trying to without this. And if you want to, and if it's a 50, 50 shot, you get hurt, then that's the risk you take. And if that's yeah. the risk you take, it's, it's a calculated risk at that. So exactly. I think the short arm action is the same thing. I think it's like Lucas Giolito was basically on his way out of baseball without changing his arm action. And he got hurt too. Yeah. Right. And so, he, he might get hurt again. I mean, he might, he might not finish this season, knock on wood. I hope he does as a White Sox fan. And he might, he might throw the next 15 years in the big leagues with not one arm issue. But he could be done that tomorrow. And if you, don't, you can't necessarily attribute that to short arm action. But no. people are going to speculate, 100% they're going to speculate, like, this arm action, see, it's not, it's not good. Look at Lucas Giolito, he, bro- he blew out. Nobody knows the exact reason he blew out, but it's going to be front and center because it's something different and people don't like different and people don't like new and, and outside-the-box thinking. Yeah, and to be clear, neither of us are predicting any injuries for any person. We're not doing that at all. I hope he doesn't. We're, I no, mean, he, White I Sox are a, on the up. Yeah, I hope he has a great career. Um, and again, for like for context, and that was a really good point you brought up. If you're towards the end of your baseball career or you're in pro ball and you're like, I need three miles per hour to, to like get to double, to have a chance to be on the big clubs radar. Like I'm stuck in low A and they don't really see me as a, as a guy. Right. It, there's no harm done. If you're just like, look, I'm a consenting adult. I want to go for broke on a way to ball program. I want to do this. I want to do that. That makes a lot of sense to be quit. Like you said, you have a limited shelf life and you're getting towards the end. Do what needs to be done. Lucas Giolito had Tommy John surgery. So like, hey, maybe we need to make a change to your mechanics. Like let's, we, they may, I'm sure they made an educated decision looking at his timing, looking at how things worked. And we're like, hey, maybe this is a change that could be good for you. And I, again, I think that makes sense. Like, I don't think what he's doing, I think what he's doing makes sense for him. I really do. Because I know he's got like good people in his life and he's got good trainers and smart coaches. Um, my, over, my overarching point is, because people see big leaguers doing stuff, they're like, oh, maybe I should teach my 12-year-old to throw that way. And that's where I'm not sure that would be a good thing to do. Yeah. Because every 12-year-old who's ever played baseball has never grown up throwing that way naturally. And of course, natural is like, you, you'd want coaching, you want to be taught the right way, right? But a lot of players like weren't taught heavily of like what their arm should do forever. And they developed into good hard throwers. So you can help people along the way, but it's not clear this is something you'd want to naturally teach a young player. It maybe makes more sense at a high level where you need a change. Like you've been injured a bunch and you've been, you know, you've had struggles with command so we can change something different and see if we get a better result. Cause things couldn't get worse for him. Like, right. You said he wasn't pitching well and he was hurt. So you have nothing to lose trying to make a change and he's clearly on the up and up. So that's, that makes sense. And that's good for him. But, it's definitely different at that level, like you said, than it is someone who's 10, 11 years old and you're trying to teach them how to throw the proper way. Because at that, I mean, you can make an argument for guys that are stuck in a ball or double a on taking steroids and why they, why they felt the need to do that. I mean, it was go for broke, right? 
If I don't yeah. do this, I'm out of baseball anyways, so I'd rather, you know, whatever. I'll take a little bit of shame, but I'll make it to the big leagues if I get caught. You know, it's, it's a risk-reward at that point. You're not obviously going to go back, and I'm not going to go tell my tenure team, like, hey, if you want to be good, like, you might need to feel a little bit of this cream and clear. Although, you might. It's the, probably not a good teaching point. No, it's not it's a tried-and-true measure of success as opposed to just being good at the sport or good at the skill. But I do think, I do think that when you get to, like you said, when you see, when you see the door closing – and you got one. You have one shot. Like, okay, I make. If I make this change, it could be the end of my career. But without doing it, it's definitely going to be the end of my career. So you make you make a decision. And Giolito, I think he would have gotten some more shots just based on the status. But man, what a good what a good adjustment he made. It, at least up until this point. Yeah, and yeah. Well, and, and back to your point about weighted balls. The that one's a little more tricky because. Again, this isn't just looking at baseball. If you start to look at like the the history of like what humans did, like if that's the kind of scope we're looking at, um, humans have always thrown objects, right? They have not always thrown baseballs. They've only thrown baseballs for a hundred years. And when they started throwing baseballs, they started deciding that only throwing this one size and weighted object was the way to do it. That's not natural either. So we start saying is throwing weighted balls, quote unquote, which is really just throwing different weighted objects right when we're saying like we're throwing weighted balls you're throwing a six ounce and a four ounce and an eight ounce and maybe a heavy one pound one that's probably honestly more natural than throwing a baseball exclusively right when again we're looking at the scope of human the human condition not just baseball because 100 years is enough to say like this is you know the way but like humans have always been throwing objects so back like satchel page he was saying like i developed my command from throwing rocks killing chickens i read his autobiography when i was a kid I mean, so many people grew up throwing rocks. I love throwing rocks. So you start saying like, well, what's natural for a person? Well, throwing all sorts of different weighted stuff, including really light stuff, even though you're not throwing a rock 100 miles an hour, right? So um, the weighted ball thing is kind of like verdicts out. Like you said, 100% that we don't know the effect. Like in 10 years, we could have a pile of guys who all went through the whole weighted ball. They're the weighted ball generation. And we yeah. have a pile of injuries, right? We could see a spike. Yeah. We don't know. But at the same time, We've already seen a pile of injuries anyway. So there'd have to be a pretty big statistical change. Um, and it might be there still, but. Uh, I attribute yeah. this to the food we're eating is why people are so injured and have so many illnesses. Yep. That's it. It's breaking down our bodies in ways we don't know. Yeah. Well, um, our, our mutual friend posted uh, some video. He sent me some, some videos of two guys so i'm gonna post them on my twitter so if you're out there in youtube or twitter land uh i'll throw a couple of videos of some of these guys who change their arm actions on my twitter feed when, when the podcast wraps up in a, in a couple minutes but um but yeah, who's yeah, our mutual need, friend don't worry about it but so um <laughs> we uh it's not important it's just not important but as far as some of these changes there's probably not as many of these things on hitting because injuries aren't as big like there's not a nothing you're doing hitting is potentially injuring you although i have heard uh from a friend who's in the physical therapy industry that hitting weighted balls is starting to have a negative effect on hitter shoulders so they're starting to see more laxity issues and dislocations and shoulder injuries from hitting it seems like from hitting weighted baseballs because it's such a jarring force on the shoulder yeah so that's an interesting trend that you probably heard here first um but uh 
you know, there's, there's not as many things like that out there, but like things we know have worked. And again, this is also what that author said was that we know that lifting weights works, right? Lifting heavy, heavy weights. It's been working since Roman days, whatever. Like you lift weights consistently, your body gets bigger and gets stronger. Like we know that. Right. Um, he's like a lot of these other methods of training, like jogging. He's like, is that a healthy thing? Verdict still kind of out. That's only a 30, like we've only been jogging for 30 years, right? Like save the a couple Olympic marathon runners, but like jogging wasn't a thing. People didn't just like go jog. Um, CrossFit, the way CrossFit's done, that's lifting weights, obviously, but there's a pile of shoulder injuries from CrossFit, like piles and piles of them. Um, there's lots of just new things that have not been time tested. What do we know that's time tested? Let's end on that. What do we know that's time tested? Anything? Uh, we know eating fruits and vegetables, um, especially the ones or, who are grown, grown more organically organic. and actually less GMO for sure. Um, we know water and potentially wine and beer aren't bad for the body. Like they've been drunk for forever. I'm not advocating that kids drink or anything. I'm not a, I'm not really much of a drinker myself. So don't mistake that. But those seem like beverages. I mean, they've been beverages that have been along around for a long time, especially back what thousands of years ago when there was very unsafe drinking water, they made it into oh, beer. Yeah. Everyone's drunk all the time, but they weren't dying of, you know, waterborne parasites and waterborne um, diseases. So, uh, there was something there. Um, coffee, been around for forever. Tea, been around for forever. Boston Tea Party. Exactly. But I mean, again, like I think the paleo, I think the paleo diet is a very stupid diet. Uh, having read, I actually read the book, not just like interpreted what it was, but I actually read his words to try to figure exactly what the paleo diet means. I think it's very dumb trying to say that this is what our ancestors ate because our ancestors ate vastly different food depending on where they live. If your ancestors, Bobby, you know, tribal folk from a thousand years ago lived right by the sea, they probably ate tons of shellfish and fish and their diet was extremely limited in scope. If, you're, if your ancestors lived in Siberia, they ate like five different foods and, and lots of caribou, right? Like to say that this is the paleo diet is just like highly variable. And it's like, and a lot of those people were very malnourished. They died very early. Like, so you have to take someone with a grain of salt, obviously. Is the paleo um, diet just somebody trying to maneuver around telling someone that, hey, if you want to, if you want to be in better shape, you need to exercise? Like, well, if you eat this way, you'll probably be in better shape. Like, yeah, if you exercise, you might be in better shape too. Like, you might feel better about your body. And I think the paleo diet premise was kind of what I've been saying, which I, again, I didn't invent. It was just from those other guys. Like, eat time-tested foods, right? A thousand years ago, yeah. there weren't there weren't triscuits. <laughs> <laughs> they, were, they weren't frozen pizzas so if you only eat were, stuff that are there was unleavened bread well bread's been around for a long time but isn't that what a trisket is uh kind of but a burnt piece of bread i'm not enough enough an expert on nutrition to say what is officially on like the the good list because yeah i don't know but and you can also start to make arguments that like certain things have always like like the poppy and like opium has been around for a long time and it's natural quote unquote, but it's not natural. Like drugs are terrible. Um, so there's like, it, it's a tricky, it's a tricky thing to sort out. But the overall point of this segment of the podcast, I think it was just to think about critically is, is what I'm doing a fad and has it had any sort of time tested effect? Like we know weightlifting, if you're a baseball player, weightlifting, 
Like we didn't, we didn't weightlift for until like 1995, right? Like it wasn't a cultural thing. Whereas yeah. weightlifting has been proven and like weightlifting is something every ball player does now and should continue to do for sure. It's clearly not injuring players. Um, it's definitely making them throw harder, run faster. Now when you throw harder because of weightlifting, maybe that does contribute to you hurting your arm because if you throw 95 versus 88, that's certainly a contributing risk factor. You throw harder, mm-hmm. you put more stress through your ligaments. But at the same time, weightlifting has a proven effect. So, yeah, I don't know. But, uh, Bobby, we pulled out a pretty decent podcast today, I think, huh? This was in the top 40. Um, we had a uh, – oh, well, we have one more question. Let me, let's cover this one. Arm action, bad drills. Um, Ken asks, I know you don't like the towel drill – Bobby, what's your what's your opinion of the towel drill? Uh, I don't dislike the towel drill. I don't. I would just prefer to throw a baseball. But obviously, like I think some drills are born out of a space necessity and a time filling necessity. Like, okay, we'll give these kids a towel while they're waiting to throw their bullpen, and they'll do a few of these drills, and it'll mimic the throwing motion, and we'll kind of we'll get them some reps other than just having them throw the ball. So I'm not. I don't dislike the towel drill. I don't think it has any negative effects. I just don't see if you have the opportunity to throw a baseball to a partner, why that isn't option number one. Um, so we do appreciate your comments. I do scan through YouTube and we've had a, a good chatter today, but um, I'll go through my towel drill real quick. So number one, again, context is everything. I have used the towel drill and I've used it with kids who really when they're when they're throwing, they tend to like when they hit they tend to spin and stand straight up instead of driving and moving their chest towards the plate, which every pitcher, every pitcher who's good, when they land, it's not just a rotation. It's a combination of their chest moving towards the plate, right? They have that long yeah. angle towards home plate. They get extension from their upper body, not just their arm. So sometimes kids, when they just like, I've done drills that should help their extension improve, that should help them move their chest towards their target, and it's just not working that well. I'll put a chair in the tunnel. I'll give them a towel and I'll say, and I'll just know that they can't possibly reach it if they stand up like the Eiffel Tower. And so I'll say, hey, I need you to push your chest and your chin towards this chair so that when your arm comes down, you swipe the chair. But I, and so that has a contextual good purpose. Purpose, And And I have used it that way in the past. What I don't like about the towel drill is having done it personally, the towel flutters in the air and it feels extremely awkward. It does not feel like throwing. I really dislike it for that reason. And, and I've asked a lot of kids without trying to like lead them there. I'm like, how do you feel about the towel drill? Does it, does it feel natural, unnatural? Like, what does it feel like? And I get similar responses. Um, what I like better is, I mean, this is a, a bug spray can, but if you take a half filled water bottle, like a 16 ounce water bottle, you hold it like this. And I have a, I have a video on my YouTube channel. So if you search water bottle drill, you'll find me you can hold a water bottle in your hand and you feel the water slosh around. So it actually can help you cue. Like if you're trying to get a kid to not do this, like takes his hand out of glove, his, his hands out of his glove weird. And you say, Hey, I want you to break your hands down. He'll feel the water slosh down. So it's a good, like you can feel it. It's, it's cool. And the water flows back and it, it, it feels very natural and very comfortable. I really like the water bottle drill half filled. Um, I feel like that's a completely suitable replacement for the, for the towel drill, except you don't want to hit the bottle against anything. So if you're trying to like smack the towel against the chair, that's a no go. Um, right. So that's, I think is a suitable, uh, and I did towel drills all through college in my basement. 
trying to be better at pitching. But when you watch players do towel drills, they tend to bend their elbow. They tend to throw the low elbow. I watched this Tom House video on Twitter of Drew Brees doing this drill. And I was like, and I, and I retweeted it in comments. I said, this drill does not make sense. This drill is Drew Brees short arming the ball. He was like throwing like a, like a, like a little toddler throws. I'm like, I don't see what the point of this is. He's got a towel in his hands. He's quickly releasing. He's not pulling his shoulder blade back. I'm like, Drew Brees does not throw a football the way he's throwing this towel. So what are we doing? I mean, are we trying to like, I don't, I I could not understand. And I respect Tom House to a tremendous degree, but I also think a lot of what he does is outdated. And that drill just, it just, I, it just can't make sense for Drew Brees. It just can't. Is it, is it more of a footwork drill for him? Like his feet are in sync with how quick his arm is moving? There's no point in practicing your arm moving so fast your throwing mechanics are terrible. That's never a scenario that would happen in a game. doesn't matter how fast he gets rid of the ball, he's going to pull his shoulder back, blade back and throw the ball fast. It just, it just didn't make sense. And, it's uh, mental. It's the mental. Uh... But that was a recent example of a towel drill that I, uh, I, did, not, I did not like. Because it was, again, you can only move your arms as fast – as you can get them in a proper position. So if you've got to get the body going faster, okay. But it's not like, would you ever encourage a shortstop to get rid of the ball so fast that his mechanics were terrible? No. No. You got to get rid of the ball. Like you still need a balance of getting speed on the ball, getting accuracy on it, and getting rid of it quick. You have to have all three. It's never just one unless it's just like tossed into the second baseman. And that and, and yeah, when you do that in football, never. So anyway, um, so if you're out there, we pre- do appreciate your questions. Bobby always checks Twitter, uh, Periscope. I always sort of scan YouTube, but we appreciate it. So next uh, next show, if you have something to to us to, to talk through, and be sure to post it in the chat box. Um, appreciate you watching, Bobby. You want to send us out? Yeah, we'll appreciate everybody's time on Friday. We'll see everyone Tuesday. We're supposed to have a guest. If we don't, tweet at Dan. Blame Dan. And uh, I will post. Know. I will post the link to my dad's book. And a couple of videos of arm actions on my Twitter feed. So if you're not there, be sure to follow at Coach Dan Blewett, at Stevie Bobbins, and at the morning at Morning Brushback. It's spelled a little awkward, but you'll be able to find it. All right. Thanks again. We'll see you next week on the Morning Brushback. See ya.